listen to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Jess Fink. Uh, Jess is someone who I've been a fan of for quite a long time since uh, first starting the site, and I think Jess was a frequent um, contributor to the Crown Commission message board, and those were the fine folks that originally hosted the studs, so I was pretty aware of Jess's work for a while, and I totally slacked off on interviewing Jess because that was eight and a half years ago, um, so I'm sorry, Jess. Oh, I forgive you. Okay. Uh, Jess's newest books, um, We Can Fix It from Top Shelf, as well as Chester 5000, which I think came out a year and a half ago? Yes. About that. And uh, We Are Become Pels, uh, collaboration with Jesse Camo. Um, Joey Camo. Joey Camo. Oh, my <laughs> God. I. We did, Just for those listening, we've been trying to get me to get names right for five minutes before we even started so <laughs> joey i am really sorry um <laughs> people just say it's because of my old views on web comics no i'm just it's my fault i told jerk. him that his name is jimmy john camo i don't even know what i'm it's my fault <laughs> and then we have a song to go with that but we'll save that for yeah, uh, we'll save that. that that'll be a bonus feature um who's publishing that book is it self-published that's to, um to Patico. Topatico. Yep. The the home to all the web comics. Topato Co. I probably said it wrong. Tomato Co. Topato Co. Topato. You say topato. I'll say to. I'm sorry. No. Um. Don't say. So a bunch of stuff now. It it must be good for you. I mean, you're doing comics for quite a long time. Um, mini comics, web comics, and now you've got a a good chunk of books out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all been... I guess I've been doing stuff for a long time, but um, but yeah, just recently I have got a bunch of stuff finally out. And We Can Fix It was in the wings for a long time, um, and I was working on it, um, but it's finally out. So, yeah. It's exciting. It's very <laughs> exciting. Um, I guess I want to kind of get a better idea of of kind of where you're coming from as I want to kind of rewind a bit and kind of look at kind of what your entrance was into comics. Um, Cause I know you went to the SVA yep. and kind of what you were really into that got you wanting to go there and kind of pursue this as a, an endeavor. Um, well, so I guess I wanted to go to SVA just because um well, they were one of the only schools that I remember had a cartooning department at all. Um, uh, I, I don't really remember looking at anything else. It was really just FIT and SVA because those are the two art schools that were in New York. And I didn't want to go too far away from home. 
um, I grew up on Long Island, uh, and I just did not, I'm not, like, there were other schools that had cartoon departments, but I was not interested in them. Um, but yeah, I think I, I either wanted to do animation, I wanted to do animation when I was very young, uh, and then in high school, I really got into comics. Uh, I started reading, like, um, Scud and um, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac and, like, a whole bunch of manga. And and I was just like, oh, my God, comics. Oh, my God. And I didn't really even know if I wanted to go to college, but my mom was very insistent. I Like, she didn't get to go to college and, like, you know, I was sort of, like, um, the first generation that was going to be able to go to college kind of thing. So she was very insistent on that. But uh, not, but allowing you to kind of do what you wanted just as long as it's college. Yeah. She was like very encouraging about that. Like she, she didn't want to force me into any, like um, anything I didn't want to do. And, and in retrospect, I feel like if I wanted a, um, uh, um, an education in art, I could have gone to a smaller school or, you know, taken community classes or something that wasn't so expensive because it, it was extremely expensive. Um, and, uh, it, it, like, and I had loans to pay off just forever uh, until my boyfriend paid them off last year for me. <laughs> <laughs> I Thanks, Eric. I would still paying them off until forever, but Eric is so nice to me and he paid them off. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, I, I feel like, you know, she just wanted me to go to school and to, to do, to have a good experience and to do what I wanted to do. Um, and that, art is the only thing that I've ever wanted to do since I was a little kid. So did you, um, kind of know what you were getting into, um, as far as like kind of an idea of who you're. Uh, instructors would be or was it just a really big quick learning experience um yeah i didn't study the curriculum at all really before i went there all i knew was that they had a cartooning department i didn't know any of the teachers i didn't know um you know it, it wasn't like i saw a teacher that i liked and then i i was like oh i have to go here Although there were there were a lot of cool people teaching at SVA at the time, um, uh, Gary Panter was teaching for a while. Uh, Dave Mazzucchelli, I had a I had a class with Dave Mazzucchelli, which was amazing. Um, uh, Tom Hart was like my favorite teacher, but I didn't know about any of them beforehand. I just knew that it was like the only school that did comics, and I really wanted to go there. Um, and I think. Um, yeah. When you started going there, um, did you kind of have a change in kind of how you understood comics, or because like the teachers you're talking about, like Mazzucchelli, Panther mm -hmm. Hart, very alternative cartoonists, and I'm wondering like, um, were you reading a lot of alternative stuff? Because I know you're reading a lot of manga, mm -hmm. and you mentioned Johnny Homicidal Maniac and Scud the Assassin. Um, all these men with very purposeful lives. Um, <laughs> but like, and the Max, I'm super into the Max. Too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, can't forget um, Sam Keith. Oh yeah. Um, 
yeah, that was a, like a super big change for me. I guess also my like main influences when I was a kid were like Looney Tunes cartoons and um, anime and like like really any cartoon. I was talking about this last night with Eric that we like we just watched any cartoon that was on television at all. Like, any cartoon we would just like soak it up and so going to school was a big change for me because I feel like um yeah there were all these comics that I just had no idea about uh and Tom Hart was basically my gateway into every single one of those comics that I then like loved forever that he introduced me to so like um I, he was a really good teacher because he had this way of like sort of seeing what each kid was interested in and then like um like guiding them towards f focusing on that and mm -hmm. gi giving them books that like had something to do with that and like he wouldn't like push them into like any direction that he wanted them to go into he was like really good at seeking out what they wanted to do and so like he gave me some french comics um he gave me um Goodbye Chunky Rice, which like became my absolute favorite comic. And I had no idea that comics like that really existed before. Like I knew about indie comics, but I didn't know about like um, memoirs or, um, you know, comics that, um, that were about history or anything like that. And he like, he was super great about introducing us to that kind of stuff. How did that affect uh, what you wanted to create? I immediately started making uh, autobiographical comics. Um, I think he showed us James Kuchalka and uh, Chester Brown. And I was just like, oh, well, that's it. I'm going to make comics. I'm going to make comics every day. Like, mm -hmm. decided to do little autobiographical comics every single day for like a couple weeks or something like that. Um, yeah, it just, it definitely had a huge influence on me. You know, it's interesting, um, kind of looking through your site, and a lot of, a lot of autobio, um, your hourlies are some of my favorite hourlies, actually, when people do that hourly day. Um, Thanks. And, and I'm interested, like, how, through the work yet, you've got published, um, specifically, we can fix it, very abstract in the autobio kind of context um, and just kind of how you do have produced all this autobio stuff but it does it kind of play like a building bridge for what you're getting to or do you feel those things connected or which things like your older autobio um, working it up to we can fix it um, and kind of how they play different roles in telling your story. I guess, well, the older stuff, um, well, the older stuff feels really rough to me. I guess basically, I mean, there are some things that I like about my older stuff. I think my older stuff I was trying to like, um, I, I feel like nowadays I, I'm more just trying to get um document a, f a funny moment and my older stuff i was trying to um like tell a bigger story somehow 
But I guess We Can Fix It does that too. Um, yeah, I guess I We Can Fix It is just kind of, um, it's autobiographical, but not in the same way that I'm just doing comics now or, or not in the same way of like an hourly comic where I'm just documenting something. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like We Can Fix It, I had a goal in mind um, and I kind of drew it all at once because I was just working towards that goal the whole time. Maybe just give the... folks an idea of what We Can Fix It is mm-hmm. for those okay. that kind of have no idea. Uh, so We Can Fix It is a time travel memoir um, and it's basically the premise is just I have a time machine and if you have a time machine what would you do? You might like go back and try and fix some of the really awkward terrible moments from your childhood um, that uh, plague you forever and ever. Uh, so that's what happens in the book basically. Um, and it's there's a lot of jokes there's a lot of like weird dirty moments um i think a couple of people thought that it was going to be a, an adult book like a dirty book because of the other comics that i do but <laughs> 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 i remember one um yeah i like somebody was asking me if it was like safe for work and i'm like i just yes it's fine it's <laughs> not even like a boob in it it's fine there might be a butt. Uh, Lots of kissing. Yeah, he's making out. <laughs> Definitely making out. Um, one of the things I was thinking about when reading it is, and, and you can totally correct me if I'm wrong, is, or maybe actually I'll just ask, um, because you said you worked on it in one big chunk. Um, did you kind of have in mind the particular ending, or have thing had things changed while you were working through? Uh, revisiting past stuff and kind of resolving issues. Um, I had, well, I think part way through, I think I wrote uh, the first bit where I'm just kind of like, um, I, I take the time machine to the uh, theater that I used to work in when I was in high school and I tell myself not to uh, make out with someone and then I make out with myself and then so I wrote that part in the beginning and I think then I had this idea of like oh wait well if I really did have a time machine like what other things would I do and it's kind of like the way the book is written it really just sort of follows what I was thinking about when I was writing it mm-hmm. <laughs> like all of the decisions that I'm making in the book are decisions I was making while I was writing it, basically. So I'm like, well, well, but like, maybe I should go back with my time machine and look at that moment. That moment was interesting. And I think um, once I started on, once I started writing that part, I was thinking, well, eventually I'm going to get to a, a time where I'd like to look at some happy memories and that you know, just focusing on regret all the time isn't a healthy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why I kind of feel like there's some kind of like resolution in there of kind of mm-hmm. you can't keep regretting everything. Right. I mean, like, and it's impossible to not regret things like 
you know, it's, you're always going to think about that stuff. But I think the important thing is to remember that there are also a lot of really good moments in there. And every time you find yourself like, you know, really mulling over some terrible thing you did or mistake you made, like, you just have to remember a couple times that you did something right, too. Um, or had a really good time, because those are the things that are like super hard to remember. You always remember when, when you did something dumb or someone said something mean to you, but it's harder to remember like all the funny jokes you made with your friends when you were teenagers. The good times. The good times. The good times. Um, going through that, do you find for yourself you had a lot of like surprises of what you could remember of those good times? Yeah. Um, there are a lot of things that like I had to jog my memory about. I, I remember talking to my friends to, to try and figure out what they remembered. Um, Cause we all worked at this theater together and um, we were the worst employees in the world, but we had a great time. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know how that place got anything done. We were real bad, but yeah. So that, I mean like that, those were fun things to write about. Now, were you working on this at the same time as the Chester 5000? Yes. And I also had a job at the time too. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, it's interesting because those books um, really like, they kind of encompass like, the two identities, I guess, of your work. Mm -hmm. There's like that auto right. bio component, and then there's the kind of filthy fink mm -hmm. stuff. Filthy um, fink. Is that okay? Is that okay to call? Oh, that? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that's something you did recently. I think a little strip about like, um, you at your deathbed saying, "Was it erotica <laughs> is an art form or something?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, have, uh, has it always been, like, a particular interest for you as far as, like, reading about, studying about, um, sexuality and erotica and porn and filth? Um, yeah, um, yeah, I think, well, I think, like, most cartoonists had times in their lives where they drew dirty pictures, you know, when they were younger, um, mm -hmm. or it probably still do. Like that scene think? in Superbad where the kid just draws penises. <laughs> yeah, that's me, exactly. Uh, except I still do that. <laughs> in every magazine I own. Um, but like, a, you know, you, you draw a dirty thing and then you crumple it up and you throw it in the toilet or you set it on fire so no one can ever find the evidence. Uh, except that, like, I didn't grow out of that phase. I just, like, kept doing it. Um, but I didn't know about porn comics or anything. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know you could, um, I didn't even know that there were dirty sections of comic book shops, like porn sections in the back. Um, but that was another thing. That's another thing that Tom Hart introduced me to actually, because, um, I remember him bringing in this uh, collection of Tijuana Bibles 
Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen that, like, um, Art Spiegelman? It's, like, a really nice, big Art Spiegelman um, edited. Yeah, it's like a landscape shape, oh, it's, right? Yeah, it's huge. It's a gorgeous book. Um, and he brought that in, and uh, I fell in love with it. And I spilled ink all over it. <laughs> and I felt real bad and I had to go buy him another one um, but it was such a good book and then so I, I kind of like I read that book and I was like oh my god like it blew my mind because I was like not only are there dirty comics but people have been making them since like the 40s like it just like drove me insane so and then I think I heard somebody t- mention um that nbm had a um dirty uh, had a erotica publishing side and then uh, that eros the fanographics imprint um published that stuff and i was just like oh well well, i can do that i I, was like it was like i always wanted to do it but i didn't realize it was an option Mm -hmm. and when i got out of college i started doing um little shorts for these fanographics collections they would put out like um every month they would put out an issue with a couple of stories in it that were six or seven pages long and they all had uh different themes that were extremely dirty like rear entry or head or yeah you know just take a look at the eros catalog and yes folks so they're all idea. in there and uh so i started doing stuff for those um, yeah i guess i was just i was always into sex positivity mm-hmm. um and i just didn't know it was a thing that i could do as a job who were some of your favorite um porn cartoonists uh well one of the first people that i remember uh, whose work I fell in love with was Molly Keeley. Um, she did this book called, it's another thing that Tom Hart gave me. So apparently he just created me. Um, <laughs> uh, but it, that's what he was so good at that. Like he would, he would like find out what you were interested in. And then he would just be like, Oh, here's a stack of books that you'll love them all. Um, so Tacopa Jane was this amazing book by Molly Keeley that was put out by Eros and this cowgirl in the desert. Um, and I like, I went and I devoured all of her work. She also did this book called, um, Diary of Dominatrix and, um, not that kind of girl. And they were all just these, um, soft, but with a nice sharp wit to them. Uh, like, girl usually girl on girl sometimes there were guys but it they were just beautiful books and very funny and cute and so i fell in love with that and then i guess a lot of the other stuff i read was manga because there was just a lot of dirty manga mm-hmm. a lot of it though i i think sometimes you know you're you're influenced by stuff that you love and then i think sometimes you're influenced by stuff that you you hate too (laughs) 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 because a lot of the porn i looked at i was just like well i hate this this makes me feel very uncomfortable i think a lot of the 
porn that I saw was, um, I, it treated sex like it was a really dirty thing and like, oh, how, like how, how nasty and gross and um, like, isn't it, isn't it sick and weird that you're even reading this? And I, I hated that attitude. I just, I like, you know, it's something that almost everybody does. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, why can't there be nice, you know, uh, positive books that write about sex in a, in a enjoyable in a, manner, in a, an enjoyable way. Um, well, that's something so, you said really early on is like sex positivity or being sex positive is pretty important. Yeah. And, and it is interesting looking at some of the Eros stuff and it's just, I mean, that stuff was just stuff they're cranking out to make money. Right, yeah. Um, with some really good stuff kind of tossed into the mix. Um, I know, I just derailed you, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's true. And, yeah. Um. So, seeing this other kind of work, um, kind of, what did you want to get for yourself out of it, then? Um... Well, I guess I just wanted to make something that was fun and took women into account mm -hmm. because uh, I guess, you know, it, obviously it's not a rare thing that mostly women are not catered to. Uh, and that's not just in like erotic comics, it's in like a lot of comics. So um, I wanted to make something that was appealing to women and that was sex positive and didn't um, make sex seem like a, a filthy thing. And I, I also just wanted to write something that I thought was sexy. So, um, one of the things you have seen you write about is an interest specifically in kind of gender fluidity. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe you could touch on that a bit. Uh, I was always interested in that. Um, uh, yeah, well, I, I've always loved androgyny. I was always obsessed with, uh, obviously Ziggy Stardust or David Bowie. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was the thing like really early on for me because um, I think I, what I very early on, I realized that I was bisexual and I felt like um, there were very few representations of bisexuality that I could cling to. And I think David Bowie as Ziggy Stardust is one of the first things I ever saw where a man was like openly talking about being bisexual and like wearing a skirt on stage. Like, and he was a pop star, he was hugely famous. So mm -hmm. it just, it blew my mind. Um, so yeah, I, I was just always super into that because I, I really identified with it. Um, and then, I don't know, I just always sought stuff out that was, I like that. I was super obsessed with Ranma One Half, which is an anime about a boy that turns into a girl. When uh, they get water on them. Yes, when he gets splashed with uh, hot water. <laughs> <laughs> Makes perfect sense. Um, you're, and I guess this kind of is reflected in your work, like in Chester, um, the, the male protagonist isn't a particularly male male character if that kind of comes across right 
Am I saying the right thing? Does that make sense? Uh, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about it now, and I'm like, is he is he not manly enough? <laughs> he's a thinker. Yeah, he's a nerd. He's a nerd. <laughs> Um, in the most recent story, yes, yes. I, I think everybody should just assume that any character I write about is bisexual because I'm bisexual. <laughs> so it's just gonna find its way into my work. Um, yeah. Um, one of the I things can't resist it. I'm terrible. It's you know you write you write what you're interested in, right? Right, right. You write what you know. You know? Yeah, write what you know. Um, Chester 5000, uh, was it XYZ? XYV. V, I'm sorry. Doesn't make sense. Um, now, that's uh, kind of, I don't want to say steampunk, because it's not steampunk, but it's Victorian automaton. Yes. Um, uh, and that's your longest work. Yes. And in t that one you've kind of extended and extended. And it's actually really interesting to sit down and read all of it, um, because each part to it really changes how you understand the story, or how I understand the story. Mm -hmm. um, was did you have just like kind of maybe tell me about the development of the story of Chester and kind of how it built into this bigger thing? Well, okay, Chester started as a. Oh, I think it was like a it was like a six page story for one of those fanographics books, and it looked real bad. I don't like looking at it anymore because that was like a hundred years ago. I think it was like a hundred years ago. And but I took that idea and and I was kind of just like I I really wanted to do a web comic and I wanted to do something that was just fun and sex positive and I wanted it to have the vibe of a silent movie because I was super influenced by those Tijuana Bibles and I wanted to make something that felt old timey um I was also really into like Art Nouveau at the time stuff like that I, I mostly wanted to do something that was um easy for me to do something that I knew that I could update weekly at least mm-hmm is it the part of it? Is it the stylism, stylisticness that you use when drawing it that makes it a little easier? Yes, I mean it was easy in the beginning, and I've since kind of beaten all the easiness out of it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that sounds really dirty. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't mean it to sound dirty at all. Um, it's okay. It's a safe space. <laughs> I made it really complicated to make, to make this comic. Now I ha it's like a really complicated process because I, I, um, because I don't want it to look like crap, but, um, yeah, I, I feel like it, it used to be a lot easier for me cause I would just draw it and ink wash it and I would be done with it, but I've gotten a lot more meticulous in my old age. Well, you've been working on it for a while too. Yes. I was kind of surprised. Like it started in what, 2008? Yes, it's been a it, long time. It was on, it started on adultwebcomics.com, which was a Joey Manley enterprise. Okay. And 
it was up there for a little while and then adult web comics went kaput and then I got my own site and started putting it up there. Yeah, it's been a long time. Is part of the challenge that you may not draw the same style that you did six years ago? Yeah, I mean, I think I used to draw a lot looser. Mm -hmm. And when the book came out, and I used to do those pages in my sketchbook. Man. Like not even on watercolor paper. I just did them on, like, you know, sketch paper and painted them directly in my sketchbook. So I just, I didn't, I didn't really care about a lot. <laughs> I, was, I was super critical of how I used to make stuff. Cause, um, and in a way that's good because you just make it and you get it out there and, and you do it quickly and you don't think about it too hard. And I think, I, I kind of think that that's a good way to make comics. And I, I'd like to be able to do things more quickly, but, but um, I feel like I worked hard to get to a point where I can make better art and feel more satisfied with it. Yeah, I think I used to draw in a very loose way and I've just sort of tightened it up. And when the book came out, when Top Shelf published the book, I went back and I um, painted a couple of new scenes and I uh, edited the art a bit so that it would feel more up to date with how I'm drawing now. Because like most web comics, it you know you go to back to the first comic and it looks very different from uh, you know the what's happening now. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted it. I wanted the style to be a to not be so jarring compared to what I'm doing now. No, you're not done the story, right? Done with it? No. I felt like the last one I read was a bit of a cliffhanger. Yeah, I haven't updated it in a couple of weeks because I'm working on a Smut Peddler story. Oh, okay. It's like a 20-page Smut Peddler story that's I've been taking up all my time. So. And that's a second Smut Peddler anthology? Yes. When's 2014. The... Oh, when's that coming out? Um... I don't, I, I don't have a date, but there will be another Kickstarter for it. Seems to work well doing that. Yes, they did very well last time. Um, was that kind of exciting to see with the first? Because that was a really successful Kickstarter, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It did, it did, it did so well. It was really exciting. I, I was so super excited to see people get so jazzed about porn. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Kickstarter, like, they even um, didn't shy away from mentioning it, which was nice. Because Good. usually people are super afraid of erotica. Yeah. And being associated with it, so. You guys were able to put it right up front. Yeah. It's going to be filthy, people. Right. Um, was, I think for a lot of folks, they, that was kind of a new time for them to do. Mm-hmm. Because I actually haven't seen a copy. I oh, it's apologize. great. It's such a good book. Um, has it gotten into the stores around here? Um, but I'm presuming <laughs> for a lot of folks, it was a new chance to try um, erotic comics. And that was probably pretty exciting to see. Yeah. Folks coming from a lot of different areas. Yeah, and it's all... Every story in the book um, 
has to have a woman involved in some way, uh, whether as a writer or an artist. And so it's very sex positive. And Spike is a great editor. She goes a long way to make sure that people aren't putting anything offensive or, you know, anything that would make it a crappy, erotic comic that would make people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a that's such a weird spectrum, though. Mm -hmm. In a way, do you know what I mean? How so? Well, with erotic stuff. Mm -hmm. Everyone kind of has their their safety area, their space of what's yeah. comfort and what's not. And like, I've been at shows helping Robin Bougie with his table, and someone oh, throws yeah. a note at him about his stuff, saying he's <laughs> disgusting. Uh, meanwhile, you know, people come and like, dude, you're the best. Um, <laughs> and so it's weird for me just to kind of like, here's the standard of what's acceptable, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It is a, a super weird line to walk. And I thought about it a lot and I don't really know what the answer is because I definitely think that people have a right to their kinks. Mm -hmm. And you know, if, if those kinks aren't hurting anyone, then certainly have your kinks. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's part of sex positivity. Yeah. But I also feel very strongly that a majority of the time in pornography women are mistreated mm -hmm. and women aren't catered to and uh or women are presented as objects you know, objects and they're I, I think a lot of sort of what i've been striving for in making erotic comics and and certainly in the comics that I like the, the thing that I'm looking for and the thing that I like in those comics is um, a story and the ability to relate to characters that are in a story. Um, and I guess it's a, it's a weird line to walk because I, I don't want to say that things that don't have a story or, or things that don't have characters that you can relate to are bad. Mm-hmm. Um, because certainly, you know, I'm not against looking at uh, pornography or just, you know, images. But I feel like I want there to be more variety in pornography. Mm -hmm. Where there there are things for women to look at and there are um, what are some, don't treat people just as objects. What are some particular works you've seen recently that kind of are success in those regards? Um, well, I, I wouldn't call it erotica. I wouldn't call it an er erotic comic, but, um, TJ and Amal is a really great comic, mm -hmm. um, by E.K. Weaver. And it's just, it's a story and there happens to be sex in it. And I just, I think that's great because, you know, so often, um, sex gets cut out because it's considered unnecessary or something that we don't need to see between two people um but i think if you know a sex a sex scene can matter to the story and you can see it and be turned on by it and like that's okay and there's still a story there to read um and 
I, you know, I like, uh, I really love Curvy by Sylvan Migdal. Uh, it's just super fun, cute, sexy comic. It's like a lot of jokes, a lot of fun, like hopping through different worlds. And um, But it's, it treats, uh, it treats the characters very nicely. And, mm-hmm. And it's really funny. What's the oh, story? And, uh, and like and French comics have a lot of sex in them too. Like yeah. um, Gus and his gang is one of my favorite comics. And there are so many sex scenes in that that are just like hot and steamy and gorgeous. Um, they're not like super graphic, but they are a lot sexier than I've seen in any uh, American comics. I've heard uh, Jean Safar's uh, next book, the one coming up from... Uh, civilized books is going to be pretty filthy. I heard that too. I was very excited. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's uh, very good at drawing sexy scenes. Is. Um, yeah. Now, what's the story you're working on right now about? I don't think we actually cover it. The one you're doing for the second Smut Peddler. Um, so this story is about a... Uh, it's about a schoolboy or not schoolboy he's a kid a guy in college he's a mechanic and uh in the 40s and an alien crash lands into his little world and it needs someone to help him fix his ship and so um enlists the college kid to help him and um and things move on from there. <laughs> I don't want to say anything dirty. Um, I'll throw yeah. in the face. One of the things I was thinking about with um, the Chester 5000 is the interesting perspective on the specific details of the historical narrative. Um, like the, uh, and I think this is in the web stuff, um, where the one woman's grieving and... Um, gets in trouble for appearing in public um, mm-hmm. as she shouldn't at that time as a as a grieving widow um, and kind of the, the choice to focus on these specific historical details to cover in that work um, yeah I, I well I wanted this book to be about Isabel and George and so Isabel is a widow in the book in the first book and I wanted this book to be about her and her husband mm-hmm. and what their life was like and I kind of got really interested in uh, Victorian Edwardian society and ways that they dress and things that they do and I realized that like if I was going to show the world that these characters came from I should probably write a little bit more about that world and how people were expected to act and so Isabel's um, stepmother or guardian uh, is a very strict Victorian woman and you know I'm not a historian but I, I feel like you know and I don't think people are looking at my comic for <laughs> history facts <laughs> and and accuracy but there were a lot of things about mourning that we don't do anymore 
like wearing veils and wearing black um, for long periods of time after someone's died. And if you were a widow, if you were a woman, um, the rules were different than if you were a man and your wife died. Um, for women were expected to mourn for at least a year after their husbands died and they weren't allowed to um, socialize with men or really uh, it was frowned upon to you know go to a party or, or um, to, to do anything that made it seem like you might be celebrating a little too much you, you had to like stay in your house and be quiet <laughs> and you know really make it look like you were you were mourning. And, and part of the wearing the veil was about, um, was about modesty and allowing people privacy and allowing people to um, cry and, but they didn't have to show you their face. Yeah. So, and that's completely understandable, but there are a lot of things about it that are. Well, it's probably also the flip side. So people don't have to look at the person crying. Yeah, that, that might be too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, people would dye their entire wardrobes black. Um, and then men on the other side didn't uh, really have to do that. They would, they would wear black or they would wear an armband. Um, and they, I think they had to grieve for like a couple months. And, and then they were allowed to go, go out and get a new wife. Um, it was a man's so, world. Yes. And I, I think I just wanted to like touch on that stuff a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a, I, I guess part of it is that kind of getting an understanding of maybe gender identities. Yes. Yeah. Play. Yes. And I wanted to like kind of show the strict world that they're living in and show how the characters are different from the strict world that they're living in. Yeah. Their, their filthy time behind doors. <laughs> That would not have been acceptable to anyone outside of their homes. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, your other thing, um, the We Are Become Pals, uh, that's mainly you doing, or is you doing illustrations for Joey Como's um, yes. stories. Uh, how did that kind of partnership come up? Um, uh, I just loved Joey's writing for a really long time, and I think maybe one TCAF he asked me if I wanted to do a book with him um and that was really it he would just send me stories and and I basically just love everything he writes so it was it was easy to do and he's really great because he asks for my input on stuff and um uh let me like design the girls and kind of base them on what I and my best friends looked like when we were younger. And um, he's just, he's just great to work with. He's, he's a lot of fun. Um, and that is that kind of an ongoing long-term project or? Uh, that book is complete. Oh, okay. Yes. And we have, we, he he posted uh, most of the book. Basically, half of the book is up on uh, we, the We Are Become Pals Tumblr, and the other half of the book is um, all of those stories. And the other half of the book is collected in the top shelf of uh, Topatico <laughs> collection. 
Um, awesome. I, yeah, it's a really cool book. I love it. I, I it it I was surprised by how much it meant to me because it really is all about best friends and it's um, like a lot of the stories are like eerily similar to things that happened between me and my best friends. But I think like that is something that um, a lot of people feel when they read it. Is it nice to kind of have a different approach and do just the illustrations to capture a scene instead of having to set up and yeah, I, do the I whole love comic routine? Yeah. Comics are hard. <laughs> <laughs> Comics are really hard. The more I illustrate things, um, the more I realize that comics really are super hard. And it's, but it, but the thing also is that it, you don't always work with someone whose work that you, you super love. Mm-hmm. Like I super love Joey's work. And um, yeah, so whenever that happens, I, I feel really lucky. Do you do a fair amount of uh, work for hire illustration work? Yes, I do. Um, oh, I actually just did. Well, today it came out that I'm my first comic in an Adventure Time comic for Boom. Um, nice. And that was written by Ry North. So oh, okay. There's like another dude who writes amazing things. Um, just a whole yeah. bunch of Topatico people. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> awesome. they're all great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, they certainly have a good thing going there. It's pretty amazing to see just how, um, when they do any of their kickstars and stuff, just how well it works and to see what a strong following they have. Yeah. I know. They, they, um, well, they have good taste, I guess. (laughs) There we go. Uh, and on that note, thank you for joining me, Jess. Thank you, Um, Rob. It's been great to chat with you. Reminder, folks. I've been talking to Jess Fink, whose latest book is We Can Fix It, as well as Chester 5000, both from Top Shelf. Um, and we are become pals from the fine folks at Tapatico. Thank you so much, Jess. Thank you, Rob.
and he's down on the street, so I sold both his bags. 